0: Man, your greetings were short, huh? (laughs) What a wonderful day. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're still going through Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, just excited about this text and how it would feed our soul. Ephesians chapter 1. in this supposed-to-be-cold morning. This is not cold, but we call it cold, don't we? Why don't you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are struck, just reminded even with these songs of your graciousness and your kindness, even allowing us to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We should have been cast out forever. And that you see fit not only to provide your son who is more than enough to die for our sins, but to provide for this life, to live this life. We pray, Father, that uh, your word would pierce our hearts and that we would live in a way and in a manner that pleases you, to be mature in Christ, not babes. And we pray, Father, that even as we celebrate communion what you did on the cross your son did on the cross we pray father that Christ would be exalted the father would be exalted the spirit would be exalted that this would be a sweet time of communion in Christ we pray in Jesus name amen amen I remember I was it was uh I think I told this story before but it was graduation weekend uh at UC Santa Barbara and I was graduating but I was just up north and as I was driving down um it was me my wife and my father we were coming over past San uh, Santa Luis Obispo if you're familiar with that drive and as we were coming down uh there's these hills right before you hit uh Pismo and these hills are called Gaviota and right there the fog kind of catches in there and you know I was I was younger then so I always liked to drive at night didn't matter to me I didn't didn't need sleep back then right it's not true now but when when we were there I remember uh it was so foggy we would come across this bend and then um you could barely see anything but still people were just going so fast and I remember we came across this bend and I just hit the brakes cuz I saw this car in the fast lane and the axle was broken and in the middle and I just swerved out and I came out to the shoulder on the right. And I remember there was a, a family that was sitting in the center. They were standing in the center um, divider. It was this patch of grass. And uh, I was there with my dad and we knew this family needed help. Right? So, you know, the cars are coming by fast. And so you have to kind of be careful, right? Because they're coming fast. And we went up to the center divider, and as we were talking to them, we were trying to see if we could help them out. Um, Another college student uh, started coming down the corner, and because it was a corner, they didn't see what happened. And so instead of going to the right like I did, right, she went to the left where we were standing. And so I'm talking to this family, me and my father, and then... The car, I said, watch out, and then the car comes, hits the mom, and she flies, and it's about the car coming probably 60, 70 miles an hour right by me, like this, right? Hits the woman, and she flies, right? And then I look at the driver, and she's freaking out, right? Then I turn around, and then this other car comes fast, hits the car again, another car, and then another car comes, bam, and it just starts going, boom. Boom, boom! And then I start, and my dad shouts at me, because we are terrified and we don't know what to do. He looks at me, and you guys have met my dad, he goes, he goes, "They don't know what's hitting them, They don't know what's happening." And so my wife grabs a flare, and she gives it I grab a flare from her, and I go to the bend in the road, because what is happening is folks are ignorant of the danger that lies ahead, you see? They don't know the danger, so they're just going fast. They're just kind of going real fast, going down, right? They think they're just going to end up in San Luis Obispo or Santa Barbara, and everything's going to be a honky-dory time. But what they they don't understand is as they're going so fast past this bend, danger lurks ahead. So by God's grace, I had this flare, and I ran up to the bend in the road, and I just stayed like this for about half an hour until the cops and the ambulance came. I just went like this. And you see all these cars going, woo, 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 woo. they're all slowing down. Uh, but even when we looked behind us, there was like five or six cars all piled up. Okay, And they piled up because they didn't know. And they piled up because they were acting rashly. You understand? They're just going fast. They piled up because they were ignorant. They piled up because they had no wisdom in what, was happening before them. You understand? And so what a lot of Christians spend their lives like that, brothers and sisters. A lot of Christians live their lives. They say, Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe He's the Son of God. Yeah, I raised my hand, maybe perhaps at some camp or something like that. Oh, yeah, I I, I became a Christian when oh, a couple years back and I heard the gospel. They may be even genuinely saved. But they're, they're living their lives like an ignorant driver coming around the bend in fog, not knowing the danger that lies ahead. They don't drive, they don't live their lives in wisdom. Now, the Bible talks about wisdom. Okay, The Bible talks about wisdom as being Wisdom is the careful application of knowledge, which glorifies God, and finds its resource in Christ. Okay, there's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is simply facts. Wisdom is how do I use what I know at that time? What do I use at that time, and how do I make decisions in this life, so that I can live successfully? And when I say successfully, I'm not talking about a full bank wallet. I'm not talking about a full bank account or a full wallet. When I talk about success, the Bible says success is rightly following and honoring God the whole of your life. And so what Paul is writing about here is that people would grow up. People would not be immature. People would not stay where they are at. You know what? It's a sad, sad thing when you you have older men in the church who still have not grown up in Christ. They don't know the truths. They don't know the glorious gospel. They haven't been intimate with it. They don't know what kind of decisions to make in their lives. They're just train wrecks. God doesn't want you to be a train wreck. He wants you to stable he wants you to give your life to him he wants you to be following after his word now so in this text if you would follow with me in ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23 this is paul's prayer for spiritual wisdom he desires that the ephesian believers would grow and not be immature and not be tossed here and there and not be Subject to all different kinds of doctrine, but make right decisions, godly decisions, decisions based on Scripture. He says here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, he says, For this reason, too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers." What does he pray for? What does Paul pray for? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And he goes on I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Know this. Breathe this. Live this. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Verse 22, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. In all, God gave this passage to you so that you would live wisely. God gave this passage to you so that you would live wisely. Now, from this text, we're going to see two main components, big, big chunks here. Verse 15 to 17 is going to be our first one, okay? Our first component, and verses 18 to 23 is going to be our second component, okay? Living wisely has two very crucial components, relationship and resource. Just think that, okay? Relationship and resource. So the first point, verses 15 to 17, if you have notes, I think there's a couple more in the back. Maybe, uh, uh, Leah, can you, are there any more or they're gone? Okay, they're all gone. Or you could have them electronically. The first point here, and this is what you have to focus on, okay? this is where you have to put your heart at, is number one, foster your relationship with Jesus. Foster your relationship with Jesus. Protect this. Guard this. Feed this. Pray for this. Your relationship with Jesus. Notice he says, and here's the heart of the passage in verse 16, Remember, as we're looking through the text, we want to know what is the heart? What is Paul saying? He has a lot of these dependent clauses that are going back and forth. In verse 16, here it is. If you were to boil it down, he says, Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention in you of my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul says that I am, as he thinks about the believers, he's filled with gratitude. He's filled with thanks. The focus of Paul's thanksgiving and prayers is spiritual wisdom. He says, I don't cease, I do not cease giving thanks for you. The word there for cease means pause, you know, on your DVD player or are those too old, right? On your Netflix or whatever, right? When you hit pause, it stops the movie. So you can go get popcorn or do whatever you need to do. Paul says, I never pause. I never pause when I'm praying for you. Why? Because Because the growth that God is doing in you, I see it sourced, guided, led by God himself. Did you know, brothers and sisters, any real spiritual growth, any real spiritual progress is not because you're that smart. It's not because you're that holy. It's not because you're that uh, with it or that eloquent. Any real spiritual growth is caused by God himself. And that's why Paul thanks him. He says he gives thanks for you. It could only be attributed to God himself. God is the one who saves. God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who gives a sober mind to make godly decisions. God is the one who fills hearts with passion for Jesus. Paul attributes any growth, real spiritual growth, to God and not to gimmicks. And then he says, while making mention of you in my prayers. These, this word for prayers means a prayer of petition. He pleads with God for believers' growth, you know? Because that has to be a spiritual exercise. You can't just assume that this is going to happen. You understand this? We can't just say, hey, we're going to get together, and you know what? If we just pour enough money into it, if we just have enough, just the right people, the church is going to grow. That doesn't happen. I hope you don't think that. The church won't grow unless... God moves. You understand? The church won't, uh, people won't grow in Christ unless God moves. Your child is not going to be more devoted to Christ. Your child is not going to get saved unless God moves. And so Paul understands this. He knows he's a great preacher. He knows that he he knows the scriptures, but what does he do? He gets on his face. And let me ask you, Is the spiritual growth and the spiritual salvation of your loved ones and your family, does it really matter to you? When you say, oh, we need to pray for my mom or my dad or my auntie or my uncle or my children. Let me ask you this question. Are you praying for them? Because if you're not praying for them, you don't really care about their spiritual growth. The proof is in the prayer. You know how they say the proof is in the pudding? The proof is in the prayer. Why? Because prayer is hard. Right? Prayer is hard. You have to remember spiritual truths. But you notice he says here, how do you foster relationship with Jesus? Okay? How do you foster? Paul, that's the heart of it. Right? He says, I'm going to pray that you grow in wisdom, that you grow in knowledge that you become more firm in this belief, right? And he says here, the spirit of wisdom, what we said was careful application of knowledge, and revelation in the knowledge of him. He says the revelation, that which you receive, how do you respond to the word of God? How do you respond? How can you grow in that? And he says here, in verse 15 and 16, you may think that this does has no place, but in verse 15 and 16, he gives a very, very important point when he prays. And here's the, fir- here's the sub-point if you want to call it an A or something like that. Remember how far he brought you, okay? Remember how far he brought you. you got to remember that, okay? You can't just say, hey, I remember, I-, I just think we're here right now, and this is all that matters. Remember how far he brought you. Notice how he rescued you. He says in 15a, he says what? Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you. Faith. They they had a supernatural belief that Jesus came on the cross and died for their sins. Now, you have to understand this. You, you could just hear people mock now. Let me get this straight. Okay? Let me get this straight. You believe there's a God? You believe there's a God? Yes, I do. <laughs> they mock you. Right? You believe he came as a man? Yes, that's right. You believe he was born in a manger? Yeah, that's what I believe. You believe he died on a cross and that if you believe in him, you're going to be saved? Yes, that's right. And You could just hear the mocking right now. Why does Paul thank them? Why does Paul thank God for their faith? Well, we know even in 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about what the world thinks about how we believe. What does the world think? He says that the word of the cross to those who are perishing are foolishness. The word there for foolishness is Moriah, where we get the word moron. You ever get that feeling when you talk to someone about Christ, they look at you like you're a moron? Huh? They say, this is foolish. Right? But of course, it's the wisdom of God. But all all this to say, here's my point, okay? Here's my point. All this to say, Paul thanks them for faith. You would say that, oh, that's an easy thing. No, it's not it's an impossible thing people to have faith is impossible do you understand you don't remember the supernatural nature of faith it's not like some decision of an ice cream flavor or what shirt uh, what color shirt to wear it is miraculous every single time someone turns their life to christ every single time a child turns their life to christ an adult a man a woman uh, an older person every single time someone in faith genuinely responds to the gospel is a miracle it's supernatural remember he paul says i thank god because of the faith that's in you remember that god did a miracle in you and you follow this do you understand Where would your lives be? Where would it be if it weren't for the miracle of faith? Lost. In the gutter. Ruining relationships. In darkness. In bitterness. Still angry at the world. Angry at your parents. Angry at your relatives. Angry at your boss. Paul says, No, that's not you. Isn't that amazing? This supernatural work that God did. He caused belief in your heart. And you responded by faith. He rescued you. And then he secondly, what else did he do? He changed you. Notice he says, and your what? Love for all the saints. Here's a miraculous thing, okay? Look at us, all right? Notice he says, all the saints, not some of the saints, right? When you are walking with Christ, God gives a supernatural love for believers in your heart. This is true of every Christian. You understand? Every Christian has this. You have a love for all the saints. First John says what? If you say... You have fellowship with God and do not love your brother. You are what? A liar. You're a liar. Why? Because what happens is when God gives this supernatural gift of faith where you respond, he not only changes you inside, he changes you to have a heart for these strange people called Christians. You want to be with Christians. You want to hang out with Christians. It says you have a what? Love for all the saints. He's going to go on later on in Ephesians to talk about how there was a dividing wall between Gentiles and Jews. How the Jews thought the Gentiles were swine. And how the Gentiles couldn't stand the way the Jews looked at them. There's this dividing wall. And what Paul's going to talk about later on is, no, he supernaturally removed that out of you. So that's why you know when there's a little seed of racism in your own heart, a seed of prejudice that starts to spring up, you know it's sin and it's wrong and you ought to love. Just think about the supernatural act God did in bringing us together. Think about it. Think about it. Look around. Look. Look at each other. Okay. We have different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different economic statuses, right? And Paul says, What? I think my God that he gave you faith and I thank my God that you have love. Why? Because it's the proof of the faith. You understand? Here's a question, and this is a hard question, okay? Here's a question. Do you not have love for the saints? Can you you take or leave fellowship with god with his people you know i i love being with the saints. love being with believers i go out to be with unbelievers i share the gospel but man i just love being with believers we had a blast at andre's house new year's eve right playing silly games right had a blast why because god has given me a love God has given you a love to be with other believers. Right, Uncle Jose? That's right. Right? Amen? So that's why Paul thanks them. Remember from where you came from. Remember how far he's brought you, changed you. But also remember how focused he wants you to be. He just wants you to be focused, okay? And we're going to watch as we boil this down, this next section of the text. It's amazing. He says here, in verse 16b, he says, Do not give se- giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, okay, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now that wisdom we talked about is a careful application of biblical knowledge to all areas of life which please God, and have their resource in Christ. That's the that's the definition I'm pulling from context. Revelation is a better understanding of the revelation received. He's not saying that he thanks God because you are now prophets. Or you're receiving new revelation. He's saying you have a better understanding of God. You have a better understanding of his ways. You have a better understanding of his plans. Now here is the crux of it. Notice this is amazing. He says... Spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Then he says this, okay? In the knowledge of him. Did you catch that? In the knowledge of him. The word for knowledge here is epigonosco. okay? That word is different from the typical word in Greek, which is oida, which means to know facts, Okay. Epigonosco is a is a word that uh, indicates more of experience of relationship. If you speak Spanish, you know the difference between saber and conocer, okay? Saber is like to know facts, okay? And just to know normal facts, but conocer, you don't say I you don't say I saber a person, you say I conocer a person, right? I experientially know that person. And here's the thing, This is my amazing thing. Paul doesn't say, I want to give you, I want to give you knowledge. He doesn't say, I want to give you academics. I want to give you different classes so that you could mark it off your checklist. I want you to know more verses so that you know, uh, so you, that you could memorize it. I was talking to Mike David the other day, and he says there's a lot of Christians in Hawaii. They know Bible, they know chapter and verse. But they can't tell you what it means. And they don't know how to apply it. Paul is not talking about this, but let me boil it all down to you, okay? In simple terms, Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. It's not about morality. It's not about uh, academics. It's not about theology per se, if it's just theological reasoning. It's about the knowledge of Him. It's about knowing Jesus. So when we preach, we don't preach so that it can fill you with facts. When we meet for Bible study, we don't want you to come so that you know more principles or more morality. When you come, when we get together to pray, we don't do that simply so we could pass the time. We do these things so that we would know Christ more. And Paul's whole emphasis is that you would know Jesus more. Do you understand the difference? The American church is so enamored with knowing this and four principles of that and how to do this. No, we don't want mere principles with no power. You don't want abstract ideas. You want a person. You want Christ. And so Paul says, as you grow in scriptures, don't read the Bible to know more about Jesus. Read the Bible to know Jesus. Now this seems simple. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how how difficult it is to keep Christ the center. You've got to fight to keep him the center. Paul is uh, Paul is not concerned about. Events and gimmicks and all these things in the church. He's only concerned with one thing are you growing in Christ? And brothers and sisters, it's the same here because that's all that really matters. If you forget everything in this sermon, but remember this one thing remember one thing I need to stick close to Christ, not my conception of who Christ is. I need to allow him to say what he is or who he is from the scriptures, and I need to bow. Are you growing in the knowledge of him? Or are you just growing, dare I say it, just in ministry, just in school? Or do you know him better? I hope you know him better than you did five years ago. Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines. Make this the day, brothers and sisters, where you say, I want to grow in Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to see him work in me. I don't want to be barren Christian with no fruit. Know him more. Parents, br- brothers and sisters, when you talk to your kids, and if they sin, does, do your kids sin? <laughs> Chrissy laughs. Do your kids sin? Yeah, your kids sin. But when you address them, do you simply address them with, you did wrong? Or do you address them with, You've sinned. It's showing your heart. There's a Christ for you who died for that sin. Do you want to turn? Do you see the difference? Paul says to grow in a knowledge of Him. It's relationship, isn't it? How will you walk wisely? Foster your relationship with Jesus. Secondly recognize your resources in Jesus. Recognize your resources in Jesus. This is huge, okay? You have a person and you want to grow closer to him, but recognize your resources in Jesus. Notice he says this in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. And he uses this term enlightened. It's in the passive perfect. And all that means is that In the passive, God, that means the action has to be done upon you. Your eyes have to be open. God has to do this work. He has to lower your defenses. He has to soften your heart. He has to cause you to see the way he sees things. Not the way you see things. Not the way Oprah sees things. Not the way Montel sees things. Not the way Steve Harvey sees things. But the way he sees things. And he wants you to open, he wants your minds to be open. It's in the perfect tense, which means an event occurring in the past with ongoing results. What he's saying is this when your eyes are opened, you are going to see the world differently. Okay. And he's going to now follow through with facts that are already established, but he wants you to see it. It's kind of like, It's kind of like you're in a cave, okay? And you've got dirt in your eyes. But in the cave is treasures that have been buried. Complete treasures. But you can barely see it, okay? Paul wants those blinders to come off. He wants to clean your eyes. And he wants to show you the wealth that you already have in Jesus. Because we live like paupers at times. You live like you're poor. Okay? You live like you're poor. You're not poor. In Christ, you are not poor. And please, just so that we're clear, when I say riches, I'm not talking about money per se. Okay. I am talking about the wealth, the forgiveness, the eternal life, the joy, the peace, the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Okay. And he wants you to see, he wants believers, this is what makes you strong, To see what you have in Jesus. Now. Here's your results of recognizing this. Okay. Results in recognizing this. Look notice he says here. And there's there's a couple. There's. uh, Four. Four sections here. He says so that you will know what is the hope. Of his calling. If you have your eyes opened, Brothers and sisters. In the Lord as you've trusted in Christ if you have your eyes open the first thing that it does to you is you never despair you follow never never despair never despair okay he says what is the hope of his calling in other words it is that which we do not see, but we have the earnest expectation. That's what hope is. The earnest expectation of that what we cannot see. And Paul says this, okay? The believer who has their eyes opened to the riches of Christ will never despair. Now, is that reality? Right? Do you worry? Do you feel like you're not going to get there? You feel like uh, you feel like things are just so messed up right now. How could they ever be changed? Paul says here. Paul says here for you this morning, Christian. Don't despair. You have a hope that is attached to this calling, that is true, that cannot be changed, and it is it is for you. Never despair. Secondly, never veer. Never veer. Never veer. He says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Why do I say never veer? Because there's a confidence that at the end, there lies. Notice he says this. What? He says the inheritance in the saints. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Notice that there's confidence that at the end there lies a true and lasting inheritance forever. That is Christ himself. Do not veer from following him. Do not veer from pursuing him. Do not veer from being heavenward. Do not be dominated by the riches and the pleasures and the conveniences of this life. Rather be dominated by the innumerable riches. The eternal pleasures of Christ himself. Never veer. Brothers and sisters. Don't trade your birthright. For a pot of stew. Don't pursue after other riches. Don't pursue after other things. Don't be lured by different pleasures only be pursuing and chasing after the riches that Christ has for you and it's already there amen thirdly here's here's a great one i love this one never tire never tire he says this what is the surpassing greatness now watch this okay Of his power toward us who believe. The word there for power is an energy, a power to accomplish a desired end. And he says toward us who believe. Only believers have this supernatural power. He says this. You already have it. You just don't use it. That's weird, right? You have this power. And now he's going to talk about what this power is. Notice he says here. It's resurrection power. Look at here. It says here. uh, Which he brought about. Notice he says. What is the surpassing greatness of his power. Toward us who believe. Okay. God. He strengthens me. He gives me his power. And then he's going to talk about what this kind of power can do. He says here, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought up in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand at the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He says he brought up Christ when he raised us from the dead. Brothers and sisters, God says this about you. He says that when you are weak, he says that when you are tired, he says that when you feel like Uh, That you are fatigued, he says, I give my power to you. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It is his resurrection power. It's also his regal power and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Position of highest accomplishment. His right hand is a position of highest favor far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Now, the position of highest status, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, which is the position of highest office. And then he says this towards the end. He says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All progress that the church attains in the gospel is given by God. Growth individually Growth corporately, he fills all in all. The great creator who sustains the universe's existence is also the sustainer of the church. Now he's exerting his power now. Now, we have to stop because sometimes if you say this, you're saying this, what, never veer, never tire. What was the first one? Never what? Never despair. That doesn't sound like reality. Right. I remember this is such this is I'm going to share this with you because it's it's so pathetic. OK. In India, we had terrible Internet. Oh, my goodness. Terrible. Sometimes it'll cut off and on. I had to buy two Internet connections. Right. It'll cut off and cut on. And uh, there was one time we didn't have any Internet. And I said, oh, honey, we don't have Wi-Fi. I might as well just give up. (laughs) Right, <laughs> and I'm just telling you my weakness. Right, might as well give up life. No Wi-Fi. <laughs> right, because I wasn't focusing. What? I wasn't fo- focusing on the hope of your calling, brothers and sisters. What? This is where the theology becomes practical. Okay, when you feel like giving up, and you feel like there's no hope, remember He has a hope of your calling that is firm and sure. When you feel lured by the riches of this world, why is that evil man down the street? Why does he have a boat and I don't? Right? Why does he have that? Right? And I know he's wicked, and I know all he cares about, uh, all he cares about is himself. Why does he have that and I don't? Don't veer from, don't veer from following Christ. You have riches eternal in heaven. What he has will be stripped of him. What you have can never be taken away. You see? Well, I, I, I'm tired. I mean, I, I work. I work 10 hours today and I have to come home and I need, now I'm going to come to those, those things called my kids. <laughs> and they're going to crawl all over me and demand things. I don't think I have the strength for that. Well brothers and sisters, God's resurrection power, you you understand, and his regal power right is there for you. You have all these resources in Christ. Never give up. When Winston Churchill, after 10 months in World War II, uh, some of the troops were demoralized. I love this. This sermon that he said because he didn't want the Nazis to take over, right? He said, here's, a, here's the resolve you must have. Winston Churchill, who was the prime minister of Britain at the time. You cannot tell from appearances how things will go. You got to understand, Germany was coming overhead. kept bombing them and they didn't know if they were going to live the next day. Sometimes imagine makes thi- imagination makes things out far worse than they are. Yet without imagination, not much can be done. These people who are so imaginative see many more dangers than perhaps exists. Certainly many more than will happen. But then you must also pray to be given that extra courage to carry this far-reaching imagination. But for everyone, surely what we have gone through in this period, I'm addressing myself to the school. Surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Listen to this. This is what he said about the enemy. Britain's enemy, Nazi Germany. He says, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparent overwa- overwhelming Might of the enemy, brothers and sisters. I know in reality you will fail, and I know in reality you will sin. But let me tell you have this heart, have this motivation because you, because this will keep you on the narrow path, this will keep you walking wisely. Protect, guard, honor your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and recognize the resources that you have with you, and never. Give in. I remember. Uh, you, uh, you might say. Well we've seen people get weak. And get tired. And I can tell you. I've seen people who have fought. To the end. And I'm not talking about just physical strength. Uh, even our pastor. Our dear pastor before Steve Fernandez. He did not give in. He fought to the end. He looked at his riches ahead. And he did that, why? Because of all the resources and his relationship in Christ. Brothers and sisters, sisters, walk wisely. Don't let the world give you the beat of your drum. Don't let it give you the rhythm of your life. Do you understand? Walk wisely. You will honor Christ in this manner. And you will guard yourself from a whole slew of mess. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so encouraged. Oh, the riches we have in Christ. The blessings. We pray, Father, that you would help us this day. Help us to concentrate on uh, communion and what your son has done for us. We thank you in Jesus' name.